when someone discloses their pregnancy, the only thing you should be talking about is congratulations. Welcome to Working Mom Out. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Working Mom Hour. I'm Erica. And I'm Madeline. We're working moms, business partners, and friends with kids at different ages and stages. We know moms tend to get more done in an hour than the average human, yet are often misunderstood and underappreciated in the workplace. We are here to shine a light on the working mom experience to help ourselves and others step into and advocate for the superpower. We are not experts. We're two women who have been there and are still there, kids, clients, and all. Join us as we cultivate more joy in working motherhood at the corner of calm and chaos. Welcome back, everyone. Today's topic tackles an area where many of us did the best we could with the tools and knowledge we had, myself included, and it never quite seemed to go as smoothly as planned. We are talking about how to navigate parental leave as an expecting parent, manager, colleague, or leader supporting parents during the leave process. We know 85% of women will become mothers at some point in their careers. Still, as the Washington Post reports, the fight for federal paid family leave, which had been cut from President Biden's Build Back Better spending package, then it was put back in by the House Democrats. It's not a new battle. It dates back to 1919 and continued on through women's suffrage, World War II, second wave feminism, and it still persists today. The U.S. remains one of just six countries in the world without some sort of national paid leave for families. And yet, poll after poll shows that most Americans want some form of paid family and medical leave. But we are seeing more employers recognizing this importance of parental or family leave and more offering longer paid leaves. Paid family leave and flexibility can be seen as a key to retention, especially in the current employment market. And part of this includes creating safe environments where women know they won't be penalized for having a child. Right. Because as many of us have observed, when an employee takes an extended leave of absence of any kind, the stakes tend to be high for everyone. As a parent going on leave, it can feel extremely overwhelming, both leading up to and coming back to the office. Creating strong coverage plans for the work can be a struggle, not to mention missing out on those key business milestones. And it can quite honestly be uncomfortable physically, mentally, interpersonally, and confusing for everyone involved. Employers tend to be concerned about both short-term business results and the retention of their talent. And the higher in rank the person is, the more challenging all of this can be. Yeah. Well, we have Allison Whalen with us today. She's the co-founder of a company called Parentally. And Parentally helps companies improve their entire experience of parental leave in a way that benefits business results, employee engagement, and team dynamics. We had Allison's partner join us on Clubhouse this past spring, and our guests learned a lot. So let's welcome Allison. Hi, Allison. We are excited to welcome you and Parentally back to Working Mom Hour. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. 
Yes. So one of the goals with Working Mom Hour is to highlight women who have identified gaps in supports for the working mom experience and have decided to take matters into their own hands to fix it. And that is what you are doing with Parentally. And I imagine Parentally's origin story is a personal one for you. Can you tell us a little bit about why it exists today? Yeah. So I had my first child about four and a half years ago. And at the time I was leading enterprise sales for a really fast growing startup and was really excited to be pregnant. But then immediately that excitement turned to fear because I thought, how can I possibly leave for three months? So I looked around, couldn't find any good resources and thought, okay, I'll figure this out, put together a coverage plan, went on leave. And the leave was actually wonderful. Nobody bothered me. I had plenty of space to become a mother and welcome my son. And then I went back to work and was sort of shocked by the experience. I mean, I knew you hear, oh, it's so difficult to go back to work after parental leave. And I always assumed it was for physical reasons or guilt and conflicting emotions, which for many people, that is true. That's certainly a big challenge of this. But for me, I was really excited to go back to work. I was ready. And I walked into what felt like a disaster. Mm -hmm. My entire team had fallen apart. The team was actually amazing, super loyal. They had worked extra hard while I was out to try and keep things going. But we missed our goals really dramatically. And I just was really angry because I thought, okay, the narrative of, oh, you have a child and your ambitions change so you drop out. I'm sure that that does happen. But I was sitting there thinking, how often is it truly that a mother wants to go back to work, is ready, wants to continue to be really dedicated to her career, and just can't because the system was not set up to support that type of an experience. And so Started with that personal experience, I ended up starting to look for another job because I thought this is such a mess that I would rather have a real onboarding with a new employer than to have to dig out of this mess. Ended up not quitting. I sort of like worked overtime, which is crazy. And you know, you're breastfeeding, you're still waking up in the middle of the night. But I crawled out of this hole and then I started to turn that anger into solutions because I think the big aha I had was this is a big problem, but also there are actually things that we can do to make this better. It's not just something where it's like, oh, it is what it is. You know, you take time off and then your career goes sideways. And so I started to talk with my co-founder, Jamie, with a bunch of our peers to say, was this your experience? And we just kept hearing over and over again, yes, this is <laughs> an awful universal, but like this is a very, very common experience. Mm -hmm. And the problem that we realized is nobody's really an expert in this mm -hmm. because parental leave is niche in the sense that nobody's job at a company is to own the parental leave experience. So there isn't one person who's consolidating best practices. And then managers may only have this experience a few times in their life. And so they don't become an expert. And we were just sort of looking around like, where is the expert? Because even going through the parental leave experience once, I had a laundry list of things that I wish people had told me so that I could do it better. And so we thought, what if we could become that expert? So we get all of the best practices, the more we work with people, the more we learn, the more it becomes nuanced of if you're a manager versus an individual contributor, if you are in this industry or this particular function. So that's really how this all started. I think you're right. Your story resonates with so many. So the onset of pregnancy carries so many overwhelming emotions, including anxiety around having that initial conversation with your employer. Personally, I couldn't sit on the fact that I was pregnant. I tried, but I clearly wasn't myself in the first trimester. But many expecting moms wait to say something until about 12 weeks or more for various reasons. So let's start there. When should you have a conversation with your boss that you're expecting? Yeah, I think that's a complicated question because it's kind of asking 
a few things. So one is when do people want to share? There are a lot of people that want to share the second they get pregnant, and you would hope that they would feel comfortable with that. And I think in some companies, it's probably very manager specific whether or not you feel comfortable sharing that news. But I think that my hope is that if people really do want to share right when they find out they're pregnant, that they can. So I think the first step is, do you actually want to share? Many women, the answer is yes, but I'm afraid of what may come after mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Many women, the answer is no. And so I think you have to start with, what do you truly want? Ignore what you think the repercussions will be. What do you want to do for yourself? I agree with you, Erica. I was chomping at the bit to tell my direct reports because they knew I'd had experienced pregnancy loss before, and they knew that this was going to be a really important positive thing. And we were very close, but there were certain people I didn't want to tell early on. And so I think it's a little bit more complicated than just do you announce or not? It's do you want to? And if yes, who? And then I think there are a lot of women who really do not want to tell anyone either because it is a personal experience. Maybe they've experienced loss and they don't want this to be something that they bring into the workplace if that unfortunately happens again, or they really do worry about motherhood bias and work being pulled away from them. And so I think if people don't want to tell they should feel confident not to. And I think the one thing that I always tell women, because I get asked this question a lot, I think you would be shocked how many people wait until week 20 Mm -hmm. or even later to tell now that we're all working from home. Yeah. And women love that they don't have to tell. And I think that's very telling that when given the opportunity and the space to not tell, to not have like your body out you, Mm -hmm. we're seeing a massive shift of people saying, I don't want to tell and I'm going to wait longer. And then they say, well, how long can I push this? There's a lot of people that really just don't want the pregnancy to enter the conversation. And the only reason why they feel they should tell and they want to at some point is they don't want their team to be disrupted by this. So Mm -hmm. most women do want their team and their coworkers to be successful. And so what I usually share is our entire business is around parental leave coverage planning and return to work career success. We do not start women or men on their coverage plans until 30 weeks of pregnancy or about three months before they're expected to go out on leave. Now, we sometimes have people start around week 25. I've only seen, I think, two situations where we had someone start before week 20. And so I share that because I like to give permission. If you don't want to share your news until week 20, there is literally no impact on your business. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you can plan between week eight and 20. There's absolutely nothing you can do. And so you are not hurting your employer by keeping that news to yourself. And I think that's really important that employers hear that too. So it doesn't make that bad when they announce at week 20. I think what women's fear is like, oh, am I going to look like I'm hiding it? Right. I'm something bad to the company. And so that's where I think it's really important that employers know they shouldn't be planning anyway, unless they need to hire a really specialized person. It's going to take a really, really long time. But that is very rare. Yeah, I like this approach. I think a lot related to women in the workplaces, people tend to be prescriptive lately. Like you should do this. You have to do this. But the reality is your team structure, your manager, the employer, everyone's different. Your experience of pregnancy is really different than the person next to you. So I like the idea that we can trust our intuition. Lately, we've been talking about women and empathic leadership being sort of like the next phase of leadership in the workplace. And so I think that can be really powerful, like trust ourselves and go with your gut. And you might feel one way for one child and another way for another child or employer situation, and that's okay. Yeah. I do understand how a lot of women feel bad. Like I understand where that guilt is coming from waiting, but I'm also like, yeah, but unfortunately it is true that if you announce your pregnancy, you are putting yourself at risk in many situations of unintentional biases or 
oftentimes we see managers who think they're doing the right thing. Oh, I just want you to take it easy. Right. Don't overwhelm you. I, you're still going to get promoted, but don't take on this big project, right? We want you to feel comfortable. And so a lot of that fear of telling is not because you're worried your employer won't be supportive. You're worried of how that support will come from them. And so that's why this is like such a complicated conversation. That makes sense. So um, do you have any advice in terms of what an employee who's pregnant should prepare in advance of having that conversation or what should they bring to that conversation? Yeah, I usually say nothing. <laughs> Don't prepare anything. The only caveat to that is if you're going to wait to like week 30, which is pretty rare, but if you are truly going to wait a really long time and you're concerned about actual business impact, not necessarily what people will think, but really like I may be withholding this information and I don't want to make the company hurt because of this, then I think you can come with a high level coverage plan because really that is what the manager is going to be thinking about is, oh my gosh, all of a sudden this person's going to, what am I going to do? And so I guess if you're waiting a really long time, you could go above and beyond and bring in a coverage plan or at least an idea of it. But in general, if you're disclosing up to 20 weeks, even a little bit past that, I really don't think it's on you to bring anything quite frankly. I mean, if it makes you feel better to think about this and to have that conversation, then great. And I think oftentimes women will think about this. I mean, from the moment you find out you're pregnant, you are thinking like, what will I do? And what would be best for me and the team? And what projects do I want to come back to? And so I think, sure, you could bring some things, but that conversation where you're disclosing, I don't know that it's the right time to talk about planning. Like it really should be more of this is my really exciting news and we celebrated together and we have plenty of time to discuss the details later. Right. And so for managers, do you think it's important that they actually do prepare for this conversation? Because I think it's human nature for an initial gut reaction to be to problem solve, especially around yeah. a leave of absence. So what should an employer do potentially to be prepared for that conversation? So the first reaction to their employee's life-changing news isn't, okay, cool. What's the plan when you're gone? Right. <laughs> this is what I think is so difficult. So we have a lot of clients that talk to us about manager training. How do we empower managers to do a really good job with this? The hard part about it is this isn't the type of thing that you can like have a training and have just every manager come and understand and internalize it because managers care a lot when they have someone who's pregnant. Otherwise, they don't care because it seems like it's not relevant to them. It's right. a lot to understand. And so I think it's really hard to train managers to handle the situation other than to say one thing, which is when someone discloses their pregnancy, the only thing you should be talking about is congratulations. Right. It should not be planning. It should not be anything else. It's just congratulations. And if they, the direct report who's pregnant, starts talking about planning, I would encourage the manager to say, oh my gosh, we will spend plenty of time discussing this. Don't worry. We'll schedule some additional time later. Right now, let's just focus on the good news. I hope managers put themselves in the shoes of the woman who's disclosing and understands she is so nervous. I've never met anyone who wasn't nervous, regardless of how wonderful their manager was. Everyone's always nervous for that conversation. Yeah. And so I think sometimes it's a little bit insensitive to go to, well, how does this affect me as a manager? Even though sometimes managers are trying to bring up planning to make the woman feel better, right. it just doesn't come off that way mm -hmm. in that moment. I think there's a better time to do that. But I would say the manager should absolutely have follow-up conversations because that also says a lot. That makes the woman feel really valued. Mm -hmm. Like this manager wants to talk to me about what my goals are and how I want to come back to work and what I'm most excited about. Because I think after that moment of disclosure and then relief that everything's okay, 
am I going to be sort of like written off? Right. That's, that's right. a natural feeling for most women. Yeah. An insider tip beyond pregnancy in the workplace, any sort of proactive support you can provide your female employees is amazing. I feel like having gone through most of my career, initiating every single conversation, fighting for every single raise. If you have a great woman who is very talented and you want to keep her, any sort of initiation of conversations that can support her can right. go a really long way. Right. And you said something really important, the initiation. I think that's exactly what I'm driving at here is it is more powerful for the manager to initiate that conversation at a later point in time in a thoughtful, supportive way than to have to then have silence and have the woman bring it forward and push that. Because we hear that a lot from women who say, my manager hasn't even, like, do they care? They haven't even come to me to discuss what the coverage plan is. Right. And yeah. I bet mm, seven out of 10 times the manager doesn't know how to initiate or right. doesn't want to initiate because they think that that is focusing on the wrong things. And when she's mm -hmm. ready, she'll come to me. Right. So, you know, saying out loud that, it's okay to have this conversation to initiate actually makes the woman feel better. And I would recommend, I mean, how our programming works, we always start high level. What do you want to come back to? Mm -hmm. Six to 12 months after you're back from parental leave, what would best case scenario be for you in that point in time? Now, of course, things could change, but you'd be shocked how often it doesn't. Usually what people say they want while they're pregnant is actually what they want when they come back to work as well. And so I think the manager should start from the same place that we do, which is, Let's talk about what that looks like. And that makes the woman, and by the way, this should happen with men as well, who are going to take an extended right. leave of absence. Mm -hmm. You know, what does that look like in your best case scenario? What will make you so excited to show up at work? Again, these are basic management things. We should be having these conversations anyway, yeah. but it's even important in this moment because I think too often managers feel that the supportive thing to do is to take work away from them, right. let them ease into parenthood when really... That is actually true oftentimes, but I don't want to be eased out if I don't know that I will be coming back. To back in. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Allison, you mentioned that a majority of the time, what a woman says she wants to come back to remains the same. Is that something you guys have studied? Because I think a lot of people see having a child as sort of like an unknown. Like you don't know how right. you're going to feel. You don't know what's going to happen. And in a lot of ways, that's true. But are you saying that you've observed that a majority of the time it does work that way? Yes. And I don't have data around that. Okay. I wish I did. Uh, it's something that we're focusing on next year is how do we get more data around a lot of these themes that we're seeing? Because I think it is interesting, especially for employers and managers to be able to understand some of these themes. Mm -hmm. I actually think it's two things. One, the ambition, the goal, the career trajectory usually does not change that much as a result of having a child. And number two, really important, the things that people hate today while they are expecting a child are the things that will make them quit when they come back to work. Oh, and totally. so a lot of what we focus on is what are the things that drive you crazy or you don't like or the parts of your job that really bother you, but you put up with uh -huh. because when you're a baby, you are not going to put up. With you don't have the capacity to put up with that shit. That's right. No. <laughs> no. Negative, yes. But there's actually a positive spin to that. Yeah. Usually what people say is, oh, I have all these wasteful meetings. Our process for doing X, Y, Z does not work. All these problems in the business. And so the positive spin on that is let's figure out what's not working and fix it so that when they come back, the business is doing better. 
and they're not dealing with these things that drive them crazy. You're creating efficiencies with the whole concept right. of working mom hours. You do more yes. in an hour than the average human out of necessity. That right. it, it won't, you know, many of us work in ind industries that traditionally bill by the hour, but it doesn't always make sense for someone who's highly efficient rather than billing by value. I also feel like your brain, I don't have data for this, but when you <laughs> have a child, I think your brain is in such survival mode that you tend to be extremely creative and come up with solutions to create efficiencies and provide solutions that are bettering your home life and your work life out of necessity. So yeah. I think some of like the most creative times in life can be right after having a child. Yep. Yeah. And I think it's also really good. So I was working at a startup when I had my first child and then I had my second child while I was working on Parentally. And when I was pregnant with my second, I was really excited. I mean, it's kind of terrifying when it's your own business, it's right. early stages and you're going to out. But I'm like, this is a forcing function. And honestly, the moment that I came back to work, it was like supercharged because forcing me to stop made me realize, wow, I stopped doing all this stuff and it literally didn't matter. There's a lot to be said about, especially in a startup environment or a tech environment, for any parent where they have more constraints, you're forcing real choices. You're just not going to run after everything under the sun. You're going to pick a path and you're going to do it really well. Right, right. The time that you're going to be spending away from your family and your little one, it has to be worth it. And you're adding up yeah. every minute of your day and you're like, this isn't worth it. And when the minutes of right. this isn't worth it are more than the minutes of this is worth it, you leave. Right. Exactly. What about women who are looking for a job or want to look for a job and are pregnant? Do you have any thoughts around that? Yeah, I think people would be shocked how often that's happening, mm -hmm. especially now with COVID, uh -huh. now that people feel like they have more permission because you can't necessarily see them and know that they're pregnant. So it's happening a lot more now. A lot of employers are getting smart to this and they want to attract pregnant talent because there it's so wow. difficult to get talent awesome. today. Previously, the sort of standard was you have to be here six months or 12 months to be eligible to have our parental leave. Now I am seeing companies either reducing it to three months or they're cutting it to zero. They're saying you're eligible the second you show up here or prorated. So employers are actually changing policy to encourage pregnant employees to apply. And I think that needs to be broadcast more because I know yeah. a lot of women scared because they're like, oh, where's going to be unhappy when they find out that I'm pregnant? I mean, sure. Yes. There are a lot of companies that are like that and it's bad, but there are a lot that aren't like that and that do not view this as a major problem. I think this is a really personal decision. I have friends who disclosed when they were six weeks pregnant while interviewing. I would say more often I hear people not disclosing until they get an offer. And in that situation, those are women who are more like four or five months pregnant, not super advanced in their pregnancy where they feel like, you know what? I understand this job. I'm going to have enough time to come in, drive impact, make a coverage plan, go out and return. Mm -hmm. But the one piece of advice I have is that if you are interviewing while pregnant, and if it's really important to you to have paid parental leave, at some point you should talk about it. So if you don't want to disclose before you get an offer, totally fine. Once you get the offer, you should ask about that because this is negotiable. A lot of companies that still have tenure requirements, if you bring it up and you say, look, I actually am pregnant. I want to talk about that. Here's what I was thinking I would take for my leave. I would like that to be paid. I hear this all the time. Companies will say, oh, that's no problem. And they'll give it to you. Mm -hmm. So that's the only thing is that I want women to know it's like a salary negotiation. And so you should bring it up. If you're worried about bias, then maybe don't tell until you get your offer, but it is something that you can potentially negotiate. Okay. Two things you said make me feel like I've been living under a rock. Number one is <laughs> that there are companies out there that you're ineligible for going on parental leave until you've been there for a certain amount of time. 
How do you navigate it if you- Most companies have really? a tenure requirement. Yeah, every yeah. company I worked for had that. Really? How do you navigate mm-hmm. it if you don't? You just get, you do FMLA, you just don't get paid leave or? So this is where it gets a little bit weird. Okay. So what I hear most often, I honestly, I think it depends on your privilege. So for mm-hmm. high income corporate knowledge workers, almost always what I hear is, the company will just give it to you. They'll keep paying you. You know, you you are going to get it. That is not the case typically for hourly workers. And so it's very unfair. And I think that's also part of why a lot of companies are reducing that because they realize realistically, if someone has a baby, are we really going to tell them no? Right. You know, humanity in which case, <laughs> right. And so most companies, even if they have a tenure requirement, don't actually follow through with it. And so it renders it useless. Right. But I do think there is an aspect here of privilege that's really important to acknowledge is that more privileged women do get better treatment. They can negotiate more. They have more power. They have more agency and the entire experience. But yeah, it is very common to have a tenure requirement. And if you don't meet the tenure requirement, I actually have a friend who didn't. She missed it by like a month. And so she basically had a month of unpaid leave and then the rest of it was paid. So it's almost like prorated a little bit. I have some friends who worked at companies that didn't even give paid leave and they negotiated in their offer stage to get a bonus, which again, privilege. Huh. Yeah. Not getting it. They're not doing that to every person. So there's these sort of edge case scenarios, but I think in practice, most companies will just pay. give it to you. That is yeah. the other thing that sort of blew my mind that parental leave is negotiable. In my rational mind, this makes sense, but I have never yeah. thought about that. I mean, you can really it's ask really for anything you want and yeah. need at some point, but I have I really, about that. No one had told me this, how common it is. I see this all the time now. And again, we should get data about this as well. I really wish I knew that because it never occurred to me to ask for more time mm-hmm. than my first leave. I had 12 weeks. I thought that was fine and just literally never occurred to me to think, well, I could ask for more. We see this all the time. Mm-hmm. Can you negotiate? So I'm thinking about like the job that I left when I got pregnant. I started there before family was even a consideration. Can you negotiate after you've started working? Oh, yeah. When I say parental leave is negotiable, I mean, if you are pregnant, mm-hmm. you can negotiate in paid, you know, that. But also what we see a lot is women who maybe their company policy is 12 weeks and they'll say, I need 16. All of my friends are getting 16 weeks. Can I take 16 weeks paid? And then it is a little bit of, and it, these are with smaller companies. So when you right. get to really large companies, there's legal considerations there. They don't want to be giving these one-off things. So that's a different story. But if you work for a smaller company, I've seen a lot of women negotiate that and they'll say, okay, you know, we understand you want to take 16 weeks. What if you take two weeks of PTO and then we just continue? There's a little bit of like a wiggle room there. And usually what happens is when women start that, that is the impetus for the company to actually increase their policy because they're like, wow, they, if they care this much, they're going to use their PTO to extend this, then we should increase it, which is why I do think negotiating it is good because it can actually create a better situation for the women who come after you. Definitely. So one thing I thought that was, thought was interesting when we talked previously was that the more senior your role, the more challenging it can be to return, similar to your personal story. Could you talk a little bit about how you help someone in various levels of position prepare for leave? Yeah. To make that return experience really positive, you have to start with strong coverage planning. 
And so two years ago, companies were a little bit kind of taken aback, like, no, we want to make the return experience better. And so they couldn't quite like wrap their minds around, well, it's really so much about how you prepare, how you set the right expectations with your team, how you have your re-onboarding plan ready to go, how you make sure that all the work and the changes that are happening while this person is out are actually tracked real time in some way so that they're not coming back and having to talk to people who don't remember what happened. So the number one piece of advice is set up a strong coverage plan. And we have tons of materials and frameworks around this, but there's a few key things that I always talk about or sort of like our framework as it as it relates to coverage planning. Yes, there's the coverage plan itself, which is a lot of work, but then we also ask people to put together communication plans. So yeah. almost everyone has some situation where they will want to be contacted. So the standard things that we tell most companies that they should always contact someone about if manager changes while they're out. Yeah. Most companies will not, because again, they're taking this perspective of, we want to give them space. We think that's the right thing to do. We want to support them. Most parents want to know if their manager has quit, mm -hmm. was fired, there's a reorg, they should be notified in that moment. And their new manager should reach out and offer a conversation. Now, the parent may say, I just had a baby, can't deal with this. I don't want to talk. But that offer should be made because otherwise people come back to work and they're like, wow, I have a new manager and they never even reached out to me. That's right. Not, <laughs> you know, so having a communication plan, there are sort of those standard things like a reorg or a sale or something of the business. But then usually individuals will have certain things in their role, especially more senior employees. If these three things happen, please let me know and give me the opportunity to share my opinion. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge difference between working on leave and sharing your opinion. One of my biggest regrets when I had my leave is I wish I would have done that because there were some key decisions that were made that I knew were coming up. It didn't occur to me to say, hey, here's, I want, I care about this. Please let me in on this conversation. And decisions were made that I completely disagreed with. And then I had to live with them when mm -hmm. I came back. So again, like a lot of that return experience is impacted by what you do before you go on leave. And so there's the coverage plan, communication plan, and then there's the return to work plan, which is really important. It's talking with your manager and saying, when I come back, here's what I think I'm going to want to focus on. I want to have a phased re-entry. I need time to learn what I missed. So I'm not going to take over my management responsibilities right when I come back. I'm going to learn, basically re-onboard for two to four weeks, and then we'll dive into things. And setting those expectations up front is so critical because otherwise, you show up and everyone's like, yay, you're back. We missed you so much. Here's everything on your plate, right. including all your direct reports and all these projects. And we're way behind. And that is so overwhelming. I'm a big believer that you can't plan for everything. Of course, <laughs> I haven't even talked about the emotional and situational. It, like there's all this other stuff that's happening, but we should try and control and plan for the things that we can to make it a better experience. These plans are very interesting to me. Do you sort of take on like a templated approach with your clients where you walk them through each plan and a process to each plan and have them yeah. under each bucket, what they need to be thinking about? Okay. Yeah. And it's very explicit. It's very prescriptive, but it's prescriptive in the questions. Right. So it's not saying do this, do this. There's a lot of, here is a list of the things that you need to ask yourself. A lot of these things won't be relevant to you, but we want to make sure that people know what are the things that I should be thinking about and what are the conversations I should be having? And also how do other people handle this? So again, I would have loved to see how other people handle a lot of these topics that we're talking about, but I had no idea. There was no place that was centralizing all this information. So a lot of what we offer is also best practice examples. Leave is so personal. Mm -hmm. It's so nuanced. There is no right way to do it. And so we can provide 
questions, prompts, checklists, templates. We can provide all of that and we do, but so much of this has to be crafted to your unique situation. Mm -hmm. And it brings up larger questions of how do I want to spend my time and how am I going to make this work with my partner's career? There are big questions that come into play as you're doing this, which is why we you know, have a marriage, so to speak, between our materials and the career coaches that then work with people as they go through these exercises. Allison, do you know the average age of an employed woman having a child in the U.S.? The data that I've looked at is more the average age based on education level. Okay. It used to be that a woman with a master's degree on average had her first child at 25 and now it's 28. Maybe it's even higher than that. It was a pretty shocking shift over the past one to two decades mm -hmm. where the age is increasing, but I've looked at it more from education level mm -hmm. than the average woman in yeah. the U.S. 28 just, feels young to me. That's what I thought. I was yeah. like, wow. That's yeah. what I'm, I told my exactly kids they're not allowed to get married until they're 30. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But that is exactly where my mind is going. Imagine how different I was married at 20, I was engaged at, I think, 24, 23. And I think I had my first kid at 20. I think I was pregnant at 26, had her at 27. And I was just busting my ass to be a great employee and yeah. survive for so long. I would not have even, I could not think outside myself. I didn't even know who I was yet. So right. to have the knowledge, to have the sense of self, the perspective, the emotional understanding and control, the understanding of how other people might be feeling in the situation, knowing my value as an employee, there's so many tools I just hadn't acquired yet at that time. It's kind of mind blowing to me. Like had I had yeah. children later in life, what would that have looked like? Or how could we educate our young people, young women who are working around some of these things. And it does feel like we joke about how when we were in college, we were drinking every night and hung over every day eating fast food. And now college girls are drinking like green juices and yeah. doing not binge. They're smoking weed instead of alcohol, which is probably way healthier. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, that is sort of where my mind is going. It's almost like a gut punch. Like, wow, the things we didn't know. Yeah. yeah. And let's be clear, you are working with employers and employers are offering this as a benefit to their people. And then you're working directly with their people, correct? We go and we sell to HR and then they offer this. Employees can sign up when they're pregnant mm -hmm. to start going through our programs. But I think where you were going is, could you call us and do it? Yeah. I mean, TBD, I would, I, so the, you could. We have had a few women go through our program who pay personally. It's a little expensive. Like our price point is higher and I have a really strong like bias and perspective here, which is that companies should, should be offering it. Right. Because it really is, it is so beneficial to the company because they're building business plans. They're building almost like mini succession plans. They're helping the business so much. They are, there's so there's instant ROI to the business. And I just feel that companies should pay for that and not put that on the women. Right. There's nothing about our program that would disallow an individual to go through sure. it. It's just, we go after the businesses because we think they should be paying for it. We have a higher price point and the ROI is instant to the business, so they should pay for that. If there's a woman who wants to work with you and their employer isn't working with you yet, can they reach out to you like like a Proud Ounces yeah. type of model where they can reach out to you and you can reach out and say there's an employee that... It, we've, we've done that. I would say more often, women who are pregnant will find us and then they will go to HR mm -hmm. and say, I want to do this. 
And then HR will talk to us, learn more about what we do, and then they'll pay for it and they'll become a client where they'll actually offer this to everyone. So yeah, we get a lot of clients that way where women find this and are like, wow, this is exactly what I want. And when women reach out directly via our website, we always write back and explain, hey, work should pay for this. You know, so glad you're excited to pay for this, but how can I help you get work to pay with this? I'll take a meeting with HR. Can you expense this in your L&D budget? So we try and help women also tap into other ways to pay for this. Clarify, expense this in your L&D budget. Is that labor and delivery? Learning and development. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I was like, I, I had no idea there were labor and delivery. Yeah, you're like, wow, that's progressive. <laughs> You may go into a court paper in this office. (laughs) Right. No, a lot of companies have like professional development, learning and development budgets. And usually there will be an amount. It's usually like $1,000 or $1,500 per person at a company that they'll allocate for that. That oftentimes gets unused. And so sometimes they can go and say, hey, can I get some of this to access this program? Huh. See, look at that. Look at that. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even realize there were budgets around each individual person that may or may not go into labor. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I want to switch gears because I think this is an interesting question. It happened to me personally. So what if you're up for a promotion or a review before or during your leave? Because for some, there's this guilt around leaving and you're inconveniencing your boss, you're inconveniencing your coworkers. And this was true for me. So when I was pregnant with my son, I ended up agreeing with my boss who suggested that we hold my review. It was too much. Wait until you get back. And it was supposed to be scheduled months before my leave. And I agreed. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't end up going back to that job. But how should someone navigate a salary and the performance review process while pregnant? Always have it before your leave. Always. There is no downside to that. There is potential major upside in waiting. If you wait, then by the time people come around to review you, they can't remember your work. They can't point to specific examples. They can't really give you a lot of feedback on development opportunities because they can't think exactly about it. They don't really know where you're headed because you've been gone for so long. So how do we career path you? And quite frankly, we hear this from every single person when we ask about this topic. People hate performance reviews their first three months back. They Mm -hmm. absolutely hate them because I hate to say it this way, but it almost feels like you're kicking someone when they're down Mm -hmm. because it is a really, even in the best of circumstances, even in a great re-onboarding process, male or female, you're still trying to figure out your new normal. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't feel normal at that point for anyone. And so you're still really insecure about that situation, even if you're doing a really good job, even if it's really supportive. So to then sit down and have a performance review in the middle of that does not feel good. And so we always say, do it before you go on leave. And there are two ways to do that. One, you can actually have a formal performance review before you go on leave. And we recommend don't wait until right before you go out, because typically people will wind down their work closer to their due date. So you don't want that to be reviewed, the slow period the month before. But so try and do it like one to two months before you go on leave. So you can actually do the review before you go out or you can draft it. Hear this a lot where women will draft their self-review. They'll ask their peers who will review them to draft their review now before they go out. And then they can submit while this person is on leave. But the review is reflective of the right moment in time with real examples and real feedback. Similar to that is if you are a manager who is pregnant, who's about to go out, It's really important to write those draft reviews or give those reviews to your direct reports, because if you don't, then while you're out, 
your interim manager, who does not have a lot of experience or visibility in your team, maybe end up, they might end up writing those reviews and your direct reports will feel like they are suffering because of that. And so we always say go through this before you go on leave. So what employers are doing family leave well right now? Do you have specific examples of folks who are setting an example? I think a lot of companies are doing a really good job within the tech space. So I'll give you a concrete example. Google has this program called the Bungie program where they actually created pods of people whose sole purpose is to step in to cover for someone on leave. And they've structured it in a way that is really beneficial to everyone involved. So the people who do that program, they're looking for a stretch experience. They're looking to get access to another team or try out something new. And so it's a really positive experience for them because they get this new experience. It helps Google retain people who may otherwise leave to get that experience. And then it also really, really helps out the person who's going on leave because they have someone from the company. It's not an outsider. It's not a temp that they have to train. They know the company culture. They know where to go. And it's much easier to bring them in to cover for them. So that's just one example of a really good, positive experience that a company has created. But there are a lot of tech companies doing a really good job. I mean, the average paid leave right now for those sort of tech employers is between 16 and 20 weeks. Almost all of them are gender neutral. And so it doesn't matter if you're a birthing parent or non-birthing, if you adopt, if you have surrogacy, if you're a father or mother, it doesn't matter. They view everyone as a caretaker. That is really, really common in the sort of big tech world right now. And then there's a lot of support on phase back to work programs is becoming overwhelmingly popular. So whether that's part-time work for full-time pay, or we profile parents all the time on our website where they talk about their companies. We profiled one person who talked about how Pinterest let her choose her schedule coming back to work. So you know, the first week she did one day, the second week she did three days, and you can sort of craft that to however you like. But there are a lot of companies doing that. And so there's some really good positive changes coming from a lot of these big tech companies that are increasingly forcing a lot of other companies to copy them, which is great. Yeah, to compete for that talent. Yeah. Okay, one final question we ask all of our guests. If you could snap your fingers and change the working mom experience tomorrow, what would you tell employers? What I wish I could do is snap my finger and the motherhood bias would go away. That's truly what I want because I think the motherhood bias is, it is real. It is devastating to many people. And it's built on falsehoods. The motherhood bias is a bias. I forget what they call it for fatherhood. There's a fatherhood bonus and a motherhood penalty. Yep. And so my husband and I have a child, according to this, I would say theory, but it is actually true. But according to the fatherhood bonus, he would get paid more because people would think, oh, he's a provider. Now he cares more. He needs to make more money. He's going to work harder for the family. And they would look at me and say, oh, her priorities have changed. Mm -hmm. He cares about her kids are number one. And so, you know, we're not going to put her on that path. And so I think that that is the number one thing. Awesome. That and every single person should get paid leave. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It is insane that we live in this country where the vast majority of people do not get it. I live in this world where I'm working with the most progressive, the most supportive employers who are going to pay thousands upon thousands of dollars to have their employees be successful. So in some ways, I'm a little bit removed from that reality. And so I I have to remind myself that, no, actually, I'm working with really, really privileged people who are not representative of most men and women in this country. Say those two things, mother bias and paid family leave for everyone. Those are great ones. 
All right. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us. I think we're just hitting the tip of the iceberg with this issue and it's ever evolving. (laughs) But before we wrap, where can our listeners find you? They can find us at parentally, which is parentaly.com or we're on LinkedIn. I post all the time. We have a newsletter you can sign up for and we profile mostly women, some men, working parents every two weeks. And so we're trying to share more of these really positive stories, but also real stories of how parents go through the parental leave experience in early working parenthood. And we share a lot of examples of what different companies are doing and how people handle different situations. So really excited about that project as well. We will include a link to all of that in our show notes. And thank you so much. We appreciate you joining us. Great. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Allison. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Good bands, why? Just give me a look.